So we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed. We're almost done. The last two weeks we kind of spent on the church and the communion of saints. Any questions about anything we've said or done? Any questions about the last two weeks in regards to the church or communion of saints or anything like that? Anything? Anything? All right. Y'all feel free to interrupt me at any point. Raise a hand at any point. Don't wait to ask. You don't even have to raise a hand. Just shout it out if I say something you have a question about. Um, so this week we are talking about the forgiveness of sins in the Apostles' Creed. So what are the implications of that phrase? Let's start there. So the implication of that phrase is that we are sinners. Okay? So if we believe in the forgiveness of sins, then one thing we're saying underneath that is that we are sinners, that we are guilty. Okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about forgiveness, there's got to be a reason for the forgiveness. All right, so the reason for the forgiveness is that we are sinners. The other implication is is that we need forgiveness as sinners. Forgiveness presupposes real guilt. Forgiveness is meaningless if there's nothing to forgive. All right, so just by looking at that phrase, the forgiveness of sins, we can unpack those things. That we are sinners, and because we are sinners. We need forgiveness, all right? There's no Christianity without these two things. All right, the Apostles' Creed is not heavy on theology. It doesn't do a lot of unpacking. I mean, the Nicene Creed is a lot more dense. Uh, but remember, these are basic statements of faith. This was probably a baptismal profession of faith. But really, this is kind of the essence of what we're saying. This is what Sproul says is that this affirmation may be the essence of the Christian faith, that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Okay, Without this, we're not talking about Christianity. Okay, So the Apostles' Creed starts with God the Father, Creator, goes to Jesus Christ and who He is, goes to the Holy Spirit, so it talks about the Trinity, but then it gets into theology with this, this statement. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. Without sin and without God's forgiveness of it, we're not talking about Christianity. Okay. So when you, if you ever go to a church, if you ever hear anybody who claims to be a minister of the gospel and they say that they don't want to talk about sin or sin is not really something we believe in anymore, then, then, then sirens should go off in your head and you should walk away. Because at that point, they are no longer talking about Christianity. All right? If you open your Bible and you start to read it from the very beginning, you don't make it very far before things fall apart. It's the third chapter. Okay? It's a big book. The third chapter, sin is introduced into the world, and the whole rest of the Bible is how are we going to solve this problem? How is God going to solve this problem? So without sin and without forgiveness, we are not talking about Christianity, okay? So, let's define our terms. Sin, what is it? Let's go to the catechism. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. That's the most basic definition I can give you. We're going to spend a lot of time in the catechism and the, um, the confession of faith today because it spells these things out pretty quickly. So what is sin? Here's your answer. If anybody ever asks you the question and you don't know the answer or you don't think you can define it very well, 
That's what the catechism is for. It is any want of conformity unto. So I'm not aligning myself with the law of God or transgression of. Or I'm specifically saying, okay, I know what the law of God is, and I'm just going to ignore it and do what I want to do anyway. That is sin. It's pretty simple. Okay, I think we can all understand this. But that's the definition. There's two types of sin when we talk about sin. There's original sin, and there's what's called active or actual sin. Okay? If you want to, what we're going to talk about today, I, didn't, I just wanted to put the chapter here. Chapter 6 of the, of the Westminster Confession of Faith, of the fall of man, of sin, and the punishment thereof. And I'm gonna, we're going to go through all of it to help us define these terms and to talk about it. Okay? And then if you're looking, I'm not going there, but the shorter catechism is questions 14 through 19. If you want to look at that later to kind of summarize this. All right? So, two types, original and active or actual. All right. So original sin, this is from our confession of faith. This is what it starts out with. And I'm just going to read it to you. And I know it's written in the King James English. Mr. Bill will love that. The rest of us will struggle with it. It says, <laughs> Our first parents, being seduced by the subtlety and temptation of Satan, sinned in eating the forbidden fruit. This their sin, God was pleased, according to His wise and holy counsel, to permit, having purpose to order it to His own glory. All right, so again, I just said Genesis 3. You don't make it very far. This is what this is talking about, Genesis 3. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, did what? Sinned. All right, right out, of the, right out of the gate, God told them not to do one thing, and they, being human, said, yeah, that's what we want to do. And that's what they did. And so they sinned, okay? God didn't look, notice that God is not the cause of it. Okay, God is not the author of sin, but God did permit it to happen. Okay, and we're gonna, not going to get into all that this morning, but just notice that that's there. All right. So, by this sin, they fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and so became dead in sin, and wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of soul and body. All right. This was the result of Adam and Eve's sin. They fell from their original righteousness. This is what we call it the fall, all right? As Tyler likes to point out, the fall, sometimes when we say that word, it makes it sound like they kind of tripped and stumbled into sin. You know, their act was rebellion. The results of their rebellion were the fall, all right? They fell from their communion with God. So they had a perfect relationship with God. He walked with them in the cool of the garden in the day. That was severed. That was broken. God kicked them out, and they became dead. Remember, what did God say? If you eat... From this fruit, what will happen? You will surely die. All right? That was the curse. Now, we know they didn't fall dead physically right then and there, but the death is spiritual death. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Okay? So they became dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of soul and body. It affected every single part of them. There is not a part of Adam and Eve that sin did not affect. And then here's where we get into it for the rest of us. They being the root of all mankind, the guilt of this sin was imputed. Fancy word means it was placed on us. And the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation. All right, so when we talk about original sin, this is what we're talking about. That because we are all descended from Adam and Eve, because they are the parents of all humankind, their sin gets passed down. Just like 
you know, we pass down our genes to our kids, just like when Samuel's standing right up here and every single one of you goes, oh my gosh, he's Blake's mini-me, okay? I passed it down. They passed down sin and we passed down sin, all right? This is one of the reasons for the incarnation of the virgin birth. Jesus doesn't have two earthly parents, so he's born without sin, okay? What did I just do? Why is it? Hold on. How did that happen? Was I just sitting here clicking it the whole time? Yes, sir, Miss Larry, of course you can. Uh, you said a minute ago, and I've always said this, God does not call the only allowed. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, it's not that he was pleased with their sin. But he was pleased in the sense that, I mean, some of this uh, language barrier. But he's, he's, he was in the fact that God is perfect, that nothing happens outside of him, that he's bringing all things to his glory. He was okay to allow it. He was pleased to permit it. Okay, He wasn't pleased with it, but he was willing to permit it. Okay? Let's not dwell there, though, or we're going to get bogged down, all right? So, we, as descendants of Adam and Eve, are born the same way they were after they ate of the fruit, okay? We are born with original sin, all right? And we're going to talk about some results of that in a second. Okay, but that's what original sin is. When you hear a preacher or a teacher or anybody else, or you read it in a book, original sin, what we're talking about is we are born into this state. We are born dead, spiritually speaking. Okay? And that every single part of us is corrupted by it. There is no part of us that's free from it. All right? That's what original sin is. Now we get to actual sin. And we're just still going through the, the confession. From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, do precede all actual transgressions. All right, so where, does our, where do our active sins come from? They come from our nature, our sin nature. Okay? Now, we all know this. You've probably all heard this before. But think about your children, all of you that have had children. You did not teach them how to lie. You did not teach them how to be disobedient. You didn't teach them how to do those things. They came out knowing, right? You didn't have to train them up for that part. You have to teach them the opposite of that. You have to teach them to share their toys. You have to teach them to be kind to other people. You have to teach them that they not, you know, the way to get things is not to just continually whine and cry about it, right? We have to teach these things. Why? Because we're, we're born sinners. We're born with an inclination to do, what's it say? Inclined to do all evil. That's our nature. We're born in Adam. Okay? We're born corrupted. So again, if you hear somebody say, well, we believe that all people are good. <coughs> not Christianity. All right? That's starting from the wrong spot. That is not what it teaches. It's not what we teach. All right? Now, this, some, some people might think this is harsh. Some people might think we're being judgmental or, you know, well, it's just a cute little baby. Well, yeah, it is a cute little baby. I mean, what does that baby need? 
That baby needs forgiveness of its sins. Just like we do. Okay? And why? Because it all proceeds from that original sin. Okay? And then it says this, This corruption of nature during this life doth remain, does remain in those that are regenerated, and although it be through Christ pardoned and mortified, yet both itself and all the motions thereof are truly and properly sin. And so what is this saying here is that the results of our original sin, the results of this corruption, even once we have repented and placed our faith in Christ, it's still with us. It still plagues us, okay? Throughout our lives, we will not be perfect this side of heaven because we are always going to be plagued by this, okay? So, what are the results of this sin? I didn't break this one down so we can just look at them all. What does it say? Every sin, both original and actual, being a transgression of the righteous law of God, and contrary thereunto, doth in its own nature bring guilt upon the sinner, whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and curse of the law, and so made subject to death, with all misery spiritual, temporal, and eternal. And then the catechism question says, What is the misery of that estate wherein two men fail? All mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under His wrath and curse, and so made liable to all the miseries of this life, to death itself and to the pains of hell forever. Those are the results of our sin. Okay? Then again, we are born into this state. Every single one of us that's born on this earth is born into this state as a result of original sin. So the, the original sin, this is the way I kind of like to explain it. We are born into a broken relationship with God. And we are born with a broken image. So if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we were made in the image of God. And we were made with a right relationship with Him. That's what Adam and Eve had. That's what it was supposed to look like. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, now we are all born and those two things are broken. And the whole rest of the Bible, the whole Bible is trying to figure, is, is telling us how God is going to repair those two broken things. Our broken image and our broken relationship. That's the results of our sin. The other thing that we need to say about this is that when we talk about guilt, this guilt is an objective status. All right, so I'm, I'm a judge. You'll know that. I get to proclaim people guilty. I do guilty, please. That's pretty much what I do. And somebody stands up, and they raise their right hand, and they swear, and we ask them a bunch of questions. And at the end of all this litany of questions, it's like 15, 20 questions I ask them. At the end of it, I say, how do you plead to the charge of aggravated burglary? Guilty or not guilty? Okay? Before this question, they are not guilty before the law. That's how they stand, not guilty. And then they say, guilty. At that point, in the eyes of the law, their status has changed. That's why I go through all those questions with them, to make sure they understand that if they say they are guilty, their status changes in the eyes of the law. Right? I have to go through. Like, if you're going to be a felony, you can no longer vote. You can no longer possess or own a firearm. You know, this thing is going to be held against you in the future. It's going to be on your record forever. We have to go through all of that. Why? Because their status changes. We are born with the status of guilty because of that broken relationship. We are guilty before God because we have chosen the team that's in rebellion against Him. 
God is king, and we're not part of the king's troops when we start out. We start out with the enemy forces. And so we stand guilty. It's an objective status, okay? It's not subjective feelings. I feel guilty about doing that. That's not what this is, okay? It can involve that. But it is a status of who we are, okay? And then we always have to remember that our sin matters and that it is personal in nature, always, okay? One, because God is a person, and then the rest of us are persons. And so our sin always harms our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and our relationship to ourself. It always affects those. Our sin is never just be- about us. And it's never just between us and God. Ever. Okay? It affects everybody around us. No matter how secret we think it might be, no matter if we think nobody knows about it, it pours over and it affects everything. All right? Again, the essence of Christianity is that we are sinners, that we are born broken, and that we cannot have a relationship with God unless this problem is fixed. Okay? There is no Christianity without it. All right? So, what's the good news of the gospel? Is that there is forgiveness, is that God fixes the problem. All right, so let's just, I'm just going to go through a bunch of verses to show you this, all right? To show you that this is what we're talking about. This is why we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. This is why we celebrate Good Friday and the crucifixion, okay? So the, I'm, gonna, I'm taking a verse from the, from the few of the two Gospels. Matthew 1.21, the angel comes and says what? To Joseph, she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. So right here at the very beginning of the gospel, when the angel is coming to tell Joseph what God is about to do through the birth of Jesus, why are we naming him Jesus? Jesus means God saves, Yahweh saves, Joshua, same name, okay? Why are we naming him that? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. Well, there's sins popping up right at the beginning of the story of Jesus, okay? Go to Mark 1, 15. These are Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus gets baptized. Jesus comes to preach. And he says what? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Why are we repenting? Because we're sinners. So Jesus is the very proclamation he makes has to do with the fact, is grounded in the fact, that we have a sin problem. And we need to turn away from it. I got these out of order. We're going to go to this Luke one first. So again, in Luke, the first part of the gospel, we did this a week or two ago with Tyler. Luke 1, 76 and 77. And you, child, this is Zechariah talking about John the Baptist. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Why are, we, why are you coming, John the Baptist? Why is Jesus coming? Forgiveness of sins. Then go back to 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul can't say it any clearer. Saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners. That's why he came. There's no sin. There's no reason for the incarnation. There's no reason for the crucifixion. 
It's why he came. We cannot separate it. Peter, first sermon in Acts. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Why is Peter standing up preaching at Pentecost? The good news that Jesus has come, that he's died, that he's resurrected. If we profess faith in him, we receive what? The forgiveness of our sins. All right? Peter does it again in the next chapter. He's talking to the Sanhedrin. Repent. Turn back. Why? That your sins may be blotted out. I was going to have a passage from Hebrews, so ignore that Hebrews part. I forgot to take that out. Okay? So we see it. Right? We see it in, in the three Gospels here. We see it in Paul's letter to Timothy. And we see it in Peter's first two sermons in the book of Acts. What are they talking about over and over again? What are they saying is the reason that Jesus came? For our sins. To provide forgiveness of our sins. Okay? Now you see a bunch of other words in here. You see repent, believe, faith. Okay? So faith and repentance go together. And they must be present to receive forgiveness. We cannot separate either one of those two things, faith and repentance. And Sproul says, there is no forgiveness without repentance. You can't have it. And what does repentance have to do with? Repentance has to do with the sin. That's what we're repenting of. That's what we're turning away from. Our sin means that we are opposed to God. We repent to be aligned with God. All right, I just said we're on, you know, we're on the enemy team. When we repent, what we're doing is we're laying down our arms and we're joining the king's team. That's what we're doing. We're saying we're, we no longer want to be in rebellion against you. We no longer want to be in the state where we're saying we don't trust you, we don't accept you, we don't acknowledge you. We want to be our own God and do what we want to do when we want to do it. No. We turn from that. We repent of it. We say we believe in God and who he has said he is and in what Jesus Christ has done and then we receive forgiveness of our sins. We cannot separate the two. We cannot separate faith and repentance. It's two sides of the same coin. They always go together. And you can see it here. Repent that your sins may be forgiven. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. All right? All right, so then what about this question? What if our sins were unforgivable? I mean, you see this. There's no peace. We're full of shame and guilt. I read a psychiatrist once. I, I hate that I didn't write down the quote exactly and who this person's name was. But the, he said, if I could convince my clients that they did not have guilt, I would have no more clients. He said, the number one reason people come to me to get counseling is because they cannot accept the fact that they are not guilty. They're just overweighed. I mean, just they cannot get over the shame and the guilt that they have because of their actions. And they cannot believe that they could be forgiven of it. And that's what, they, that's what it would be. Without the cross, we have no hope. We can have no peace. That's why we write like these candles, right? Peace, hope, joy. Because we have those things because of Jesus. We have forgiveness. And this would, Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities... Who could stand? If you did not offer forgiveness, we would have no hope. And then that, but. But. But with you there is forgiveness. 
So forgiveness is pardon in a personal setting. It's taking back into friendship those who went against you. And that's what we did when we sinned. We went against God. God said, don't eat. And we said, eh, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And we can all think about this in our own day, everyday, day-to-day life, where God has told us, don't do this. Don't do this. Again, not because he's some you know, joyless taskmaster. It's for our own benefit. It's for our own good. Don't do this, or it's going to break your relationship with me. Don't do this, or it's going to break your relationship with your children. Don't do this, or it's going to break your relationship with your spouse. Whatever it might be, with your neighbor, with your coworker. And yet, what do we do? Eh, I think we got this. And we do it anyway. But forgiveness is taking us back into friendship. And then this truth that our forgiveness rests on the objective reality that our sins are forgiven through the work of Christ. God declares us forgiven when we repent and profess our faith in Him. Is it not, Tyler says this lots of times when, before we come to the table, that coming to this table and your worthiness of receiving this table has nothing to do with your feelings. Nothing to do with your feelings. There are going to be Sunday mornings when you're going to come in here and you're going to feel overwhelmed by your guilt, by the sins that you have committed. And that is when you run to this table. It's not when you stay away from it. Because what this table was telling you again and again and again every Sunday morning is you are forgiven. You are no longer guilty if your faith is in Jesus Christ. That's why we do it every Sunday. That's why the session decided we needed to do that because it's a visible reminder you get to taste it, right? And for those of you who just drink the grape juice, taste the wine once because it stays with you walking all the way back down. You continue to taste it. And you taste the bread and you're reminded through that that you are forgiven. This is why we do a corporate and individual confession of sin every Sunday morning because when we walk through that door every Sunday morning, we have things we need to repent of. I know I do. I had some experiences with my children this morning that I need to repent of and that those little rascals need to repent of, okay? Every Sunday. And that's why we added the personal confession, not just the corporate confession. And let your personal confession be specific, not generic. Think about what your sins are. Think about them. They matter. We've seen all the reasons that they matter. There is forgiveness for them. But if you're not thinking about them specifically, if you're not trying to figure out what your sins are and where you struggle with, then you're going to just keep doing it over and over and over again. So let our prayers be specific. When we say, let's take a few moments now to confess our prayer, our sins silently. Don't let that time be a time where you just say, well, forgive me, God, I've sinned. Well, let, I mean, that's a true statement, but let's think about it. Let's get specific. Again, as Sproul said, this is the essence of Christianity. That we believe in the forgiveness of sins. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what we get to proclaim. You know, when John talks about light coming into the darkness, that we get to take this good news into the world around us. That there is forgiveness of our sins, right? And that's what we proclaim. So, questions, comments? Snide remarks. Yes, sir. Is this light? Is it light? 
Well, so the Roman Catholic Church views, it, it, a lot of it stems from their view of sin. So they have two levels of sin. They have what's called venial sins and mortal sins. And so you can fall out of grace in the Roman Catholic Church. You can lose your salvation. And so it, a lot of it has to do with if you've committed mortal sin and you've lost your salvation, you've got to take extra steps to get back in. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a much deeper issue on the way they view sin and how sin affects your relationship with God, right? As, as Presbyterians, we don't believe, we believe that once God declares you innocent, there's nothing, that, there's nothing that can happen that can change that declaration. You can never be guilty again in the eyes of God. The Roman Catholic Church doesn't believe that, so it's rooted in all of that. Yes, ma'am, let's go. Yeah, it affects every part every of us. Part. Mm -hmm. So you cannot separate yourself from that. If you, let's say you get a rejection that's in your bloodstream, you can't come back and take that rejection out. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, we talk about double imputation, right? So Adam and Eve's sin was imputed to us, right. so it affected us entirely. And then Christ's righteousness is imputed to us upon our faith. And so we're either in Christ or we are in Adam. There's no in-between state, you know. Or as one of the things Sproul said, I didn't say that, but, you know, there is never, we are never in a neutral state with God. We're either against Him or we are for Him. There's no neutral state. Um, yeah. Anybody else? Anything? Going once? Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, and that's the, you know, the beauty of the gospel. There's all kinds of different pictures we can give, right? I mean, you know, redemption, ransom paid, pardon. I mean, all of these different language that we can use. Um, and God set that up throughout the Old Testament, right? The, God's people were slaves in Egypt, and He redeemed them out of slavery through, his, through, the, through the Passover. Um, you know, we're, we're bound to our sin and to the devil, and God 
redeems us out of that. And, and, and the implication there is that we are now God's slaves. That we are no longer the devil's slaves. We are now God's slaves. Um, but yeah, there are all kinds of those pictures that we can use to kind of put this stuff in a way we can understand it. Anything else? All right, let me pray. Father, we confess that we are sinners. Encourage us with the comfort and the truth that we are also saints. Father, help us to confess our sins. For any of us who are struggling with an habitual sin, help us not to stay in the darkness. Help us to find a brother or sister that we can confess it to. Father, you tell us in James that there is great power in the confession of our sins to a brother. Show us this truth that our sin never just affects us. Help us to run from it. As Paul says, to flee it. Help us not to just play around with it. Help us not to act like it's not that big of a deal. Give us eyes to see how our sin affects our families, our neighbors, ourself. And remind us again this morning as we hear your word, as we sing songs to you, as we come to this table, that we are forgiven that we belong to you, that we have been bought with a price through the death of Jesus Christ. We ask these prayers in his name. Amen.